1: Evangelism is one of the most important roles of the Christian Church, and it is the first step to fulfilling the Great Commission. But it can also be very intimidating to approach someone with the gospel. Let's join our guest speaker, President of Living Waters, Emil Zvein, as he reminds us about the importance of sharing our faith with others in a message entitled, Christ's Ambassadors everybody we'd like to welcome you back to your seats thank you for uh making a beeline to get your drinks and your conversations and in the five minute timer we really cut your time in half there so sorry about that but you guys are pretty mature you did a you did a good job better than the junior hires usually do but they're, they're getting trained as well um, we're so excited to have uh, the guest speaker that we have for this evening. Just want to introduce him here before he comes up. Um, you've been seeing the, the announcements and the, the, the awesome video that he sent us. So EZ Mills Wayne, uh, he is the uh, president of Living Waters Publications, which is an inter- a national, really international, um, in my estimation, um, uh, evangelism resource ministry, and so uh, they've got uh, television shows and all kinds of resources available online, and many of the resources, we use them, and we've even used the class, uh, The Way of the Master here, which is part of the Living Waters Publications, and so uh, on a personal note, uh, one of the connection uh, points, or I guess the connection point for EZ joining us uh, was Steve and Diana Ezel. If you know them, they're part of our fellowship for a long time here, and uh, they were youth leaders, when EZ was in youth group when he got saved down in Southern California, right? Yeah, so he got saved under uh, the, you know, the ministry team that there that Diana was a part of. And so it's pretty awesome. And so actually it makes me wonder, how come you're not a youth leader here at The Rock? Are we going <laughs> We're turning, out, we're turning out these kinds of uh, students from the youth ministry. Uh, we got to change that. So, pressure's on. So, anyways, uh, why don't you guys welcome with me uh, Emil Zwayne, EZ, to come and share with us. Thank you, Thank you, brother.
2: Wow, after that introduction, I cannot wait to hear myself speak. <laughs> what an absolute joy it was to worship the Lord with you together this evening, my brothers and sisters. The Lord has blessed my beautiful wife, Rachel, and I with five amazing children. Yeah, I got married at two. (laughs) My wife literally robbed the cradle. And ever since my children were babies, it was my habit to sing spontaneous and spur-of-the-moment love songs over them, expressing to them how much I love and adore and cherish them as my children. And I would typically begin one of these songs by saying, sweetheart... Papa, wrote you a song. One day, my daughter Julia, who was about five at the time, came over to me, looked up at me with her big, beautiful brown eyes, and said, Papa, I wrote you a song. (laughs) And then she proceeded to sing about how much she loved and adored and cherished me as her father. And can you blame her? (laughs) Now, those of you in here tonight who are parents, you understand how quickly... The heart of this father melted. But to be candid with you, my heart did not melt because of the earth-shattering lyrics (laughs) or the mind-blowing rhyme scheme or the angelic melody because, frankly, none of those elements were present. My heart melted because my daughter of her own volition expressed to me as her father how much she loved and adored and cherished me. I couldn't help but wonder as we worship the Lord together this evening, How so touched the heart of our father must have been as we did the same with him. The fact that he allows us into his presence, the God of the universe, blows my mind. Uh, There really are no words with which I can adequately express to you all this evening how honored I am to be here. And it was extremely kind of Pastor Carlin to invite me. In fact, I don't know how many of you knew this, but there was originally another speaker who was slated to be here. But as soon as Carlin found out I was available, he quickly canceled Billy Graham. So (laughs) what can I say? (laughs) You know, the reason why I'm especially excited to be here is because I know that this church has a strong focus on the Word of God. And I know that you all have realized by now that we live in the midst of a world that is frantically in search of truth. People are looking for truth in every which direction. And the tragedy is, is it's right beneath their nose and they don't even realize it. Years ago, when I was a pastor, we started a men's school of ministry through which we trained up young men and sent them out to serve the Lord. When we first started it, we needed to find a property that was adequate to establish such a school, a place that had a nice size home and property. So after a lot of searching, we finally found a place that was perfect. The only problem was it was kind of a cross between a junkyard and a dump. The place was just a mess, an acre and a quarter full of trash. And so we set out to clean it up and Dump run after dump run, finally the place was in working order. And then we looked around at the landscaping and thought, you know, we need to clean that up a little bit. But of all the trees that were on that property, there was only one tree, and there were a lot of trees, but there was only one tree that we decided to cut down. And so we cut it down, and if you know anything about removing trees, you cut the tree down, and then of course you have to remove the stump. So to do that, you have to dig a trench around the stump, fill it with water, loosen up the roots, and then yank out the stump. And so we cut the tree down. And then in the process of digging the ditch around the stump, as the pickaxe penetrated the earth, suddenly our team heard the sound of breaking glass, only to look down and find wads of cash sticking out of the earth. 100 million, no, just kidding. (laughs) <laughs> you're like, what's that address? It was actually $2,200, but that was nothing to sneeze at because the bills dated back to the 1930s. And in the 1930s, you could buy a new car for $700. You, you could buy a house for about $3,800. The average income was about $2,800. So $2,200 was a huge treasure in that time. The man who said money doesn't grow on trees was right. He just forgot to look under them. (laughs) And, you know, I couldn't help but wonder of all the people that lived on that property over the course of decades since the 1930s, how many of them sat maybe on that very spot where that treasure was buried beneath their nose, weeping about their financial woes. And it's the same with the world. But, you know, there's only one thing more tragic than not knowing that a treasure is buried right beneath your nose. It's knowing that it's there and never digging it out. And so I praise God tonight that I'm at a church that is concerned about digging out the treasure that is found in the living word of God. And I'm excited to do that with you this evening. Join me please in a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for the grace that you've granted me in being here with my brothers and sisters. Thank you for your living word that is sharper than any two-edged sword. We pray that tonight you would Search our hearts through it, Lord, that tonight you would stir us up, that you would excite us to be doers of what we hear, and send us out with enthusiasm to serve you with honor and with passion. Grant me grace as I share your word with your people. Touch our hearts with it, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. amen. Please turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians Chapter 5. I'm extremely excited this evening to talk to you about the topic of evangelism. And the reason why I'm excited about that is because evangelism, in part, answers the age old question what is the purpose of man? I'm sure you've also noticed, like with truth, we live in the midst of an age that is in search of purpose. In fact, purpose is all the rage. If you were to do a Google search right now on the hottest trending buzzword in the 21st century, I wouldn't be surprised if purpose was at the top of the list. Everyone wants to know what their purpose is, and we see radio and television talk show hosts talking about it, we see it plastered on billboards, we... See, the modern day popular pop culture gurus talking about it, conferences, books, television programs are all surrounding this topic of purpose. Everyone wants to know what their purpose is. And I would say that that's a legitimate thing because the God that we serve is a God who functions from the premise of purpose. He doesn't do anything on accident. He doesn't do anything whimsically, but everything has a purpose behind it. And as his people, he's created us to have purpose in life. But the tragedy is, is that so many of the answers that are given to this age-old question, what is the purpose of man, have absolutely nothing to do with the true purpose of man. Because more often than not, what we're hearing is someone's conjured up opinion rather than something that is based, as we talked about earlier, in the very word of God. Brothers and sisters, what matters is not what Oprah or Dr. Phil has to say in regards to purpose. What matters is what the, yeah, amen, thank goodness. What matters is what the living God has to say about our purpose in life. Purpose is not something to be trifled with. It's not something that we can just kind of come up with a, hairbrained idea about and apply it or test it, it's so important that we have to know what God has to say about it. And tonight, I want to explore with you what the true purpose of man is according to God. And let me tell you at the outset, my brothers and sisters, that the purpose of man is extremely, extremely simple. It's very simple. But we as people have a way of complicating the simple, don't we? The purpose of man is simple. The purpose of man is to know his maker, be known by his maker, and make his maker known. So that others may know his maker as their maker, be known by his maker as their maker, make the maker of him whom his maker known to them as their maker known as the maker of others. So that others may know the maker of him who made his maker known as the maker of the ones who made the maker of the one who made his maker known to them as their maker, known as their maker, as their maker. And they may also make him known to others who will in turn know him, be known by him, and a multiplicity to the degree of infinitude, make him known. Simple. And in reality, it is. But as you just saw by that ridiculous example, we as people really do have a way of complicating the simple. Brothers and sisters, it's true. The purpose of man is to know his maker, be known by his maker, and make his maker known. Now, if you are anything like me, you absolutely love the first two parts of that purpose statement. The purpose of man is to know his maker and be known by his maker. I mean, isn't that exciting, right, to be able to say that you know the God of the universe? And not just that you know the God of the universe, but that the God of the universe actually, personally, intimately knows you. That's exciting. But uh, to make him known? That's supposed to be funny. (laughs) To make him known? Now, you think about it on an earthly level, right? I mean, how exciting is, is it to say that you know someone that's well-known? Maybe a star or a, 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 a singer or an actor. I mean, we're, we're pretty good at name-dropping, aren't we? But as Christians, of course, we pretend like, you know, we're being really humble about it, you know? Yeah, I, I know Brad Pitt, you know. <laughs> you know Brad Pitt? Well, my grandma's grandpa's uncle's sister's third cousin removed, (laughs) and I know them, and so yeah, I guess I know Brad Pitt. But I mean, it's exciting to say we know someone, right? And maybe sometimes it's hard to believe, but then when it's proven that you don't just know them, but they know you, and you see them in public, there's Brad Pitt on a stage somewhere, and he goes, hey, Diana Ezel, how are you? That would feel good, right? Wow, he really does know you. It's exciting, and for us as Christians, we revel in the fact that we know God and that God knows us, but when it comes to making God known, when it comes to walking up to perfect strangers and communicating to them about the reality of heaven and hell and how they're facing the judgment of a holy God, um, that's not necessarily comfortable. In fact, if you're honest, it's one of the most uncomfortable and nerve-wracking things imaginable. I mean, honestly, how many of you in here tonight would say that the thought of walking up to a perfect stranger and talking to them about the realities of heaven and hell and the fact that there's a judgment day coming, that they need to repent and turn to Christ, how many of you feel nervous just even thinking about that? Be honest. Okay. The rest of you, you know what the Bible says about liars. (laughs) But you know, you do have... In every church, that rare brother or sister, you know, the fearless one, nothing can get them down, no one can get in their way, and they call you up on a Saturday morning, hey, what are you doing? You're like, oh, nothing, you're just hanging out, I don't have anything going on today. Oh, you want to go witnessing? Uh, uh, actually, I have to get a haircut today, but you're bald. <laughs> my back hair, I got to get my back hair trimmed. Right, every church has those, but if, listen, you're a normal human being, if you're anything like me, just the thought of walking up to a perfect stranger and talking to them about the most uncomfortable subject for an unbeliever, then you understand what it's like, and um, it's a reality. But think about it how many of us in here feel more comfortable? engaging in other Christian activities that were made possible to us because of the fact that someone at one point or another in some way shared the gospel with us. I mean, I would much rather, right, be at a worship service. I'd much rather be in prayer. I'd much rather go to a Christian concert. I'd much rather go to a men's breakfast and have some bacons with my Bible and my bros. (laughs) Right? I'd much rather... Get together and even attend a prayer meeting, which is the second least popular ministry in the church. It's like evangelism and then prayer. But I'd rather do anything than go up to Perfect Strangers and share the gospel. But it's because the gospel was at one point shared with us that we can even participate in the things that are related to our faith. But that reality of fear and nervousness is true. It exists. There was a brother that served in ministry with me. This guy was a man's man. I mean, big, thick voice, big old, his mustache had its own zip code. That's how manly this guy was. Okay? This guy, was, this guy was a sheriff's deputy. He has stories that, that would, would, would make your, your hair stand on end. It's unbelievable that the stuff he faced. And he told me, he said, look, I would much rather on any given day be in an alleyway with two huge thugs with guns pointed at me than to share the gospel with a little old lady. Because the fact is, there is not only the natural fear of man and just talking to strangers as it is, but there's that spiritual warfare involved and there's Satan's desire in keeping the gospel of everlasting life from reaching the lost. But brothers and sisters, evangelism is perhaps the most important topic to be addressed in the church today because the church will never be all that it can be unless it's fulfilling one of its main functions on earth we need to recognize tonight that we were created to glorify God and to bring him pleasure through our obedience. This isn't a very popular topic in church today. This isn't something that most pastors get excited to preach because many pastors today, thank God, unlike the pastor in this church, are tickling people's ears. But brothers and sisters, our life is a breath. We are literally one heartbeat, one blink, one step away from crossing the threshold of time into eternity. And then our whole lives will be sealed up, and the things that were not cool to have done in the sight of man will have been the coolest things to have done when you're standing before your God. And life is quick. My father, my biological father, this January, will be 106 years old. I'm 83, but plastic surgery (laughs) works wonders. But my father's really going to be 106 years old. And I know to us that sounds like, wow, man, that's so long, he's old. But I assure you that to him, it's like the blink of an eye. Not long ago, I was walking down the hallway, and I heard crying coming from his room. He lives with us. And I walked in his room, and I said, Dad, what's, what's wrong? What's going on? And he was standing there looking at some pictures on his shelf that my sister had reproduced for him of his parents. And he stood there, and he's crying like a babe, and he's going, my mom, my dad, they died 50 or 60 years ago. But to him, it's as if though it were yesterday. And my question to you, brothers and sisters, and I want you to hear me closely tonight. My question to you is when this life is over, this life that's but a breath, hot air, a hot breath on cold air, once it's vanished and you're standing before God, will you be an I'm glad I did type of person? or will you be an I wish I would have type of person? You wanna live a life without regrets as a Christian, being spent for the glory of God until every last drop of wax is spent as you burn yourself up for his glory. The things that were not cool to have done in the eyes of man, as I said, will have been the coolest things to have done when you're before the Lord and you recognize it's all over and you're suddenly seeing with your eyes what you had grasped by the eye of faith as you look at your Savior who gave his life on that cross to redeem you and the world. We need to understand who we are as Christians, what we're supposed to be doing, and what our true purpose is. And for that, we turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse 9. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent to be well-pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. But we are well-known to God, and I trust are well-known in your consciences." For we do not commend ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. Or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died and he died for all. That those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new." Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, We are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. I think one of the biggest tragedies that we face as Christians, believe it or not, is familiarity with the Word of God. You've often heard the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. I think it's more proper to say in this case, familiarity breeds neglect or oversight or lack of understanding. A lot of us have what I call the John 3.16 syndrome. John 3.16, we know it so well, we can rattle it off in our sleep. And oftentimes when it's quoted, or maybe even when we read it in scripture, we disconnect from the meaning because we know it so well. And I think that 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians chapter five here is a case in point. And I relate to this. Look, my passion is scripture memory. My, my vision is to memorize the entire New Testament. I'm working right now on my 12th book in the New Testament. But it has been, I don't say that to boast, I say that to my shame, because there's passages I have had memorized for years, and yet the significance of it is lost on me, because I haven't focused on the true intent of the Spirit through the Word of God. And so... My hope tonight is that as we look at this text together, you will have what is called a paradigm shift. Paradigm shift is one of my favorite phrases in the English language. It's when new information is added to something that you may be already familiar with and suddenly you see it in a whole new light and from a whole new perspective. Ray Comfort often shares an example of this. He talks about his father in one of his sermons, and he says how when he was growing up, his father used to beat him and his siblings, and he would often leave him and his, and his mother and his brother and sister and take off on them. And one time he saw him kill an animal with his bare hands. Yeah, it sounds like a vicious father until he explains to you that he used to beat them because he used to discipline them to bring them up in the ways of the Lord. And he used to leave them and their mother at home because he used to go to work to work hard and provide for them. And he killed an animal with his bare hand because one time he hit a bird as he was driving down the street and it fell and it was in anguish and he put it out of its misery. Paradigm shift. Suddenly you see it from a whole new perspective. Brothers and sisters, Paul the apostle here is about to unlock such powerful, dynamic, revolutionary, transformational truth. And when I preach the word of God, I preach it with the eye of faith that every single person in this room can leave here literally transformed for the glory of God. And so Paul begins here by saying in verse 9, Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him. In other words, the Christian's life is bound up in living for the pleasure of God. That's not a popular theme today. How often do we wake up in the morning and the first thought on our mind is, Lord, how can I be pleasing to you? How often do we look at all things in life through that grid? Lord, are you pleased with the friendships that I keep, with the relationships that I'm in? God, does my personality please you? How about my sense of humor, my hobbies, my job? Lord, are you pleased with my home, with my expenditures, with my leisure? God, is it pleasing to you? Paul says, look, whether we are present with the Lord or whether we're absent from him and here on earth, we make it our aim, our ambition, our goal, our passion in life, that in all that we do, we bring him pleasure. Lord, is this pleasing to you? He goes on in verse 15, and he now connects this with the reason why we should be pleasing to the Lord. He says, and he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Our call to be pleasing to the Lord in all things, brothers and sisters, is not without basis. It's not some thought up imaginary thing that is not rooted in reality and reason. It's rooted in the very fact that he died for all of us so that those of us who've been made alive by him should now no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. See, we're, we're experts at loving self. Jesus, when he talked about fulfilling the greatest commandment, he said, love the Lord your God with your, all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. I mean, that, that's quite involved, and he elaborated, but then when he turns to how we're to love people, he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's all he had to say, as yourself, because we're experts at loving ourselves, right? When I wake up in the morning, it's not my neighbor that I make a pot of coffee for. It's not my neighbor's teeth that I brush, though he needs it desperately. It's not my neighbor's kids that I'm saving up for to send to college, right? I, I'm always thinking of self and it's not all bad. I mean, a lot of it is self-preservation. God has put that in us, but we know how to love ourselves. God comes down and he says, look, listen, he died for you. That those of you who are alive shouldn't live for yourself anymore, because that's all that our lives consisted of in the past, wasn't it? It was all about looking out for number one. It was all about my interests, my desires, my wants, my needs. I didn't think about other people first, and I surely didn't think about God. But as those who have now been redeemed, saved, transformed, we're now to live for him and no longer for ourselves. And then in verse 17, he connects it again, and he says, therefore, because of all this, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new this a very popular verse we quote it often but we don't see it in its context in its context it's all interrelated to no longer living for ourselves it's all interrelated to living with the aim to please god and in light of that we're new creations the old things have passed away That old life of living for self, that old life of looking out to please only me is done away with. All things have become new. Why? Because we're regenerated, because he died for us and rose again. We're a new creation. And then he ties it all together in verse 18. He says, now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, because of all this, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. In light of all of this, in light of all that God has done, listen, now he's done something special and extraordinary in you, and he wants to do it through you. And brothers and sisters, here's where the paradigm shift comes in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul just unveiled something radical for us. So I want you to listen closely. If you're in here this evening and you are a Christian, you have been born again, you profess Christ Jesus as your Savior, then according to Paul's words here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, right now at this very moment, as you're sitting in your seat, you are absolutely 100% in full-time ministry. You're in full-time ministry. You're like, what? What are you talking about? I thought full-time ministry is for, for pastors or for counselors or for Christian leaders or for evangelists. Nah, leave me alone, man. If you are a Christian, if you profess the name of Christ, you are right now 100% in full-time ministry. Paul the Apostle says that God has given you the ministry of reconciliation. The word reconciliation means to bring back into relationship again. Who's it talking about? Talking about a lost world that has been separated from God because of their sin. And notice that's where you were. Notice what Paul says. He reconciled us to himself and now has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Guys, this is radical. Paul's saying, look, God has taken you and he has made you a partaker of this reality called reconciliation. He brought you back into right relationship with him again. And now he's taken you and he's appointed you to be a minister of reconciliation, giving you a full-time ministry of reconciliation. You are a dispenser of that very thing that you have been a partaker of. And no one is more effective than the person who has a personal testimony connected with what they're offering others. I mean, when someone comes to your door and they're selling you something, you know, and they're talking about their little Ginsu knives and they're just staring in the space, you know, that's not impacting you. But when someone comes up to you and they talk to you about how they were on the brink of death and someone prescribed a certain medication to them or, or a medicine or a certain diet or program and, and they transform their lives and they show you before and after pictures and they line it all up, man, you're listening. Guys, look, as Paul the Apostle talks about, we're not as many peddling the word of God. In other words, we're not just out there like useless salesmen, but we are partakers of the transformation that is found in the gospel. When we preach the gospel to other people, we're preaching the gospel that we ourselves have been transformed by. We are ministers of reconciliation because we have been reconciled to God. Not only are you in full-time ministry right now, but God has given you a title. You have an official role. Listen, you are at this very moment an ambassador of Jesus Christ. That's who you are. You say, but I don't want to be an ambassador. Leave me alone. I don't like that. Diane, Steve, why'd you invite this skinny, squeaky voice guy to come to our church? He's making me miserable. I don't like it. I don't want it. I've never asked for it. I don't desire it. Guess what? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you claim the name of Christ, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, you are an ambassador of Jesus Christ, you are in full-time ministry. Nothing can change that fact. In the biological sense, the same thing is true, right? If you're a father or a mother, if you fathered or mothered children biologically, it doesn't matter whether you wanna be their parent or not. In fact, there are some parents that abandon their children. There are some fathers that never see their children. Some mothers that, that after they give birth, give their child up for adoption right away. There are some dads and moms that abuse their kids, that neglect their kids, that abandon their kids, but it doesn't change the fact that they are parents biologically. Brothers and sisters, you are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. You do have a full-time ministry of reconciliation. The question is, what type of ambassador are you and how have you been fulfilling the ministry that has been entrusted into your care. And as one preacher famously said, if you can't say amen, say ouch. (laughs) But do you know what thrills my heart, brothers and sisters? It's the fact that the Lord never calls us to anything as his people and then does not equip us to fulfill it. And I want you to listen to Ephesians 2.10. We're familiar with verses 8 and 9, but verse 10 is extremely important. It says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Did you hear that? We are his poema, we're his poem, we're his work of art. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works. Evangelism falls under that rubric of good works. That's good works under the glory of God. He has prepared our good works or our evangelistic encounters beforehand that we should walk in them. I love that word prepared, prepared for us. I love that phrase, especially when it comes to food. I love it when my food is prepared for me. I grew up in an Arab home, and if you know anything about Arab mothers, uh, they do everything for their children. So, I, I mean, I, I remember my mom, she would go crazy, because I'd come home, and I'd be like, Mom, you know, make me a sandwich. She'd be like, make you a sandwich? You know, you got to learn to make a sandwich for yourself. You're going to get married one day. No woman's going to take care of you the way that I do. She was wrong. <laughs> I didn't know how to press microwave buttons hardly when my mom was alive. I still hardly know how. I'm blessed with a wife who takes really good care of me, and I love my food prepared for me. I remember some time ago, some friends of ours told us about this restaurant called The Melting Pot. I don't know if you have Okay, sounds like mm, like you've all been there. The Melting Pot. And I got excited because they said, man, you go to the melting pot and they, they have these bowls of melted chocolate and they bring you marshmallows and bananas and all this fruit and you dip it. And I'm like, oh, okay, I'm going. So we made reservations. We went. And, uh, you know, I'm excited. You know, we ordered dinner. They had dinner and, you know, we ordered all the dessert and everything. So we're sitting there waiting. Next thing I know, they bring out these, these bowls of raw meat and bowls of raw vegetables. And they, they put them out and I'm, I'm like... I felt like I was in the twilight zone. I'm like, uh, what's going on here? Is this like chicken sushi or something? And I'm like, what, what? They're like, oh, yeah, you, um, you, cook, your, you cook your own food here. <laughs> Hold on a minute. I just came to a restaurant, right? I, mean, I can imagine the, 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 you know, brilliant guy in the back just kind of rubbing his hands together, you know? Bring them here. Make them cook their own food. Charge them more. Whoa, you know? <laughs> No, I go to a restaurant so that my food could be prepared for me. I don't go to prepare my own food. And brothers and sisters, listen, the good news that God is giving you here is that your evangelistic encounters, all of them out there in the world, wherever they may be, are prepared for you beforehand that you should walk in them. Now get ready for paradigm shift number two. 2 Timothy chapter two talks about how in a great house, there are different vessels for different uses. And Paul the Apostle uses the language vessels of honor and vessels of dishonor. Some things that are used for honorable purposes, noble purposes, you know, we all know what that's like in our homes. We all have our our fine china. We all have our nice, uh, you know, uh, glasses that we bring out. We all have our number one dad, number one mom mug that we have, right? But then every house, of course, has its Vessels of dishonor. You have your wastebasket, your trash can, your mop bucket, vessels of dishonor. He says, listen, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, in the context of what Paul's talking about, it's iniquity. If anyone cleanses himself, walks away from sin, walks a repentant life, he will be a vessel of honor. Listen, useful for the master, prepared for every good work. Now, did you get that? We learned in Ephesians what? That our works are prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If we walk uprightly before the Lord, we are prepared for every good work. And then as we walk down the path of life along the road, we see these nicely, neatly packaged evangelistic works that God has prepared for us. We're ready for them. They're ready for us. And it's what I call the divine convergence. And, and, and they come together and we enter into them ever so sweetly for the glory of God. This is the Christian life. This is the life of the ambassador of Jesus Christ. It's a person who is prepared for every good work and every good work prepared before them, fulfilling the ministry of drawing people back into relationship with God again, of which they are partakers, and fulfilling their role as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, before I became a Christian, one of the most negative phrases you could ever hear from anyone was the phrase, I was used. I was used. Whenever someone says, I was used, you always knew that something negative was about to follow. But I ask you tonight, as Christians, is there any greater honor than to be able to say, I was used by the living God? There is no greater honor or pleasure. And if you've never experienced being used by God and bringing the gospel of life and light to a lost soul, my brothers and sisters, I wanna urge you tonight to wake up and recognize you have a ministry and you have a role. And God wants you to experience joy indescribable as you do it, not for yourself, not even for the person, but for the glory of God out of love for him and for people. And the thing that blows my mind is that the God of the universe would call us to be his ambassadors. You know the reason why that doesn't absolutely blow our minds and overwhelm us with joy and excitement and euphoria? The reason why it doesn't is because we have a very low view of God and a very high view of ourselves. And that's a dangerous combination. Brothers and sisters, do you understand who God is? And in contrast to him, do you understand who you are in your lost state? This God calls you to be his ambassador. Let me give you a little bit of perspective so you can just kind of grasp the grandeur of God this evening. Listen, right now, if a beam of light came flying through this sanctuary at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, not per hour, not per minute, 186,000 miles per second, comes flying through this room, you happen to have your saddle handy and you hop on this beam of light and you fly through space At 186,000 miles per second, hang on to your toupee, by the way, at that speed, in a second and a half, you would be at the moon. In nine minutes, you would reach the sun. In four years, you would finally arrive at Alpha Centauri, which is a star that is closest to our solar system. But get this. If you hopped on that beam of light at the beginning of our galaxy and flew all the way across to the other end of our galaxy, the Milky Way, at 186,000 miles per second nonstop, it would take you 100,000 years to complete your journey. A second and a half to the moon, nine minutes to the sun, 93 million miles away, four years to Alpha Centauri, 100,000 years from one end of our galaxy to the other. Brothers and sisters, there are over 100 billion galaxies with over 100 billion stars in each galaxy. And the Bible says about our God that he spans the universe with his hand, that heaven and the heaven of heavens can't contain him. And he has called you to be his ambassador. Woo! Woo! It's insane, especially when we consider our wicked, fallen, sinful nature, and that should stir us with excitement and joy and honor and privilege, and at the same time, sobriety as we recognize how radical this responsibility is. I wish that we would be like the leper in Mark chapter 1. You remember the leper in Mark chapter 1? Jesus had touched and healed him, a man who was bound for a good part of his life with a living death sentence, unable to be around his family or his friends, having no ability to work, having no ability to be in public. Everywhere he walked, he had to cry out unclean, basically rotting as he's alive still, dying a slow, agonizing death as limbs would fall off his body. Jesus touches him and in an instant he heals him. And then he looks at him and he says, don't tell anyone what I just did to you. Right. It made me laugh the first time I read it. like, what? And what does it say? It says he went out and he began to proclaim it freely to the point that People, Jesus could no longer openly enter the cities, and they came to him from every direction. This one man single handedly made Jesus famous. Now, think of the correlation, think of the similarities and the differences. What do we have in common? Well, like this man, we ourselves had a terrible disease. Like this man, Jesus touched us and healed us, and like this man, we received a command. But that's where the similarities end because the disease we have was far worse, the healing we received was far greater, and the command we received was far more important. He told him not to go. He told told him not to go. He told us to go. If this man who was told not to go healed of a lesser disease and given a command not to go made Jesus so famous, how much more should we, brothers and sisters, proclaim to the world when he's told us to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. May God strengthen us with a passion to reach the lost. And it's amazing because I've seen people transform before my very eyes when it comes to certain things. I, I've seen people who were so quiet, so shy, that you, you wondered if they were even alive. Hey, how you doing? you know, I mean, but boy, when they get into a sports arena, how they immediately transform. I mean, they just go from, you know, hey, go, ah, they're jumping up and down, cartwheels, backflips, yeah, transformation. Can we not get enthused about the God who became a man hung upon a cross and gave his life to redeem our souls from hell? You know, we live in a world full of man-made heroes today. And when I say man-made heroes, I'm speaking of those who have been elevated to a high degree of esteem because of the impact they've had in the lives of other, other people. We read about the man who dove into the depths of the sea and saved the drowning infant or the man who threw his body across the road and saved the child from the oncoming vehicle or the, the, the woman who, who broke through the, the window in the building and saved the family from the blazing inferno or maybe the pilot who landed his plane on the Hudson and saved his crew and all the passengers and we put their names up in lights and we celebrate them and we hail them as heroes and we should because in every sense of the word they are My question to you tonight is what are all the heroes of all the ages past and present and all the heroic deeds combined in comparison to Jesus Christ and the heroism he demonstrated when he hung upon the cross to save us, his enemies? Brothers and sisters, do we burn with a passion for Christ as our hero with an excitement to tell the world about how he's transformed us? And I know that there are times when We look at ourselves and we say, well, that's just not me. I just can't do that. That's not my strength. That's not my gifting. Listen, evangelism is not gifting. There are evangelists, but what is the role of the evangelist? Ephesians tells us, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. For what? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. An evangelist's prime function is to equip the saints to go out and be the ambassadors that God has called them to be to fulfill the ministry God has given them, the ministry of reconciliation. And so oftentimes we have a, a misunderstanding of that and we don't recognize it. It's where your energies are spent often. Years ago, I worked with a man who was absolutely brilliant in the workplace. He, he was a boss where I worked. His family owned our, our business and this guy knew everything. He, he, he knew every price of every item. He knew the history of every product we carried. He was so bold and confident with customers when they came in. And one day he looked at me and he goes, Easy, I don't understand. How is it you memorize scripture and you know all these facts about Christianity? And you go out and you witness, I just, man, I can't do that. And so I remember I wrote him a letter. I said, Johnny, what's the difference between memorizing three dollars and sixteen cents and memorizing John three sixteen? I said, what's the difference between being able to remember the facts and the history regarding a certain product and memorizing facts about the history of Christianity? What's the difference between being able to walk up to a customer and boldly represent the company's policies and walking up to a stranger and presenting them with the gospel? Oftentimes, it's where we invest our heart and our time and our energy. And what type of ambassadors are we if we are not determined to equip ourselves and to cry out to God to to strengthen us so that we can go out and fulfill the ministry that he's given us? Listen, brothers and sisters, I've been involved in evangelism for nearly 25 years since I was a new Christian. Ray Comfort has been preaching the gospel around the world for years, every single day, 12 Years every weekday, he got up in New Zealand and preached the gospel. He and I preached the gospel for two and a half years every morning at a courthouse across from our ministry. We've been to 13 countries preaching the gospel open air everywhere. I've been door to door in my neighborhood to a thousand homes with my team preaching the gospel. And to this day, we both still get nervous. We still deal with the fear of man and anxiety. But I heard a saying years ago that impacted me radically. It said this that When desperation exceeds our fears, progress begins. When love exceeds our fears, progress begins. When compassion exceeds our fears, progress begins. And that courage is not the absence of fear, it's the conquering of it. It's saying I'm terribly nerve-wracked, I'm scared, I'm afraid, but I'm still going to get up and I'm still going to preach the gospel because the power is not in our words. It's not in our ability to convince and be smooth. Listen, Paul made it clear that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And a preacher said it once in such a powerful way. He said, listen, we just have to let the gospel do its work. He said, we just need to open the bay doors of our mouth and drop the gospel bomb. Let it explode and let it have its effect. Doesn't matter if you stumble through it, if you fail, if you fall, God is able. It's his gospel and he saves, we don't. And that takes the pressure off us. We're just called to be faithful, obedient servants of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, when we yield to the Lord and obey him, it's the greatest pleasure. There's no greater pleasure than being a tool in the hand of God. I can go on and on tonight with examples of divine encounters of that divine convergence where I prepared for every good work, every good work's prepared for me and it's come together. But I wanna just share one with you because time is running out. By God's grace, I get the privilege to travel across the country and to different parts of the world sharing God's word. And Whenever I travel, I typically like to take one of my children with me. A few years ago, I was traveling to Ohio to speak at a conference there and I took my now 14-year-old son with me, Luke, on that trip. And in the course of our journey, we were traveling through one of the busiest airports in the United States of America. And after making it through security, which is often a miracle for this very innocent-looking Arab, (laughs) my son Luke points to the left-hand side and he says, Papa, Papa, look, there's one of our ministry's million-dollar bill tracts. So, I look over to the left hand side and I see this little police kiosk. There was a counter, three police officers standing behind it. And I look on the counter and there's this little rectangular thing. And I'm thinking, what? I'm wiping my eyes. I'm like, no, I can't be. So, I start walking over there. You know, I'm like, <laughs> which is a bad thing for an Arab to do in an airport. Hello, how are you? La, 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 la. <laughs> Not a good thing. So I walk up to the counter and I look, and I realize my son was wrong. It wasn't one of our ministry's million dollar bill tracks, it was an entire stack of our ministry's million dollar bill tracks sitting on this counter with three police officers standing behind it. So I'm looking at it, I'm like, what? How? I, I just. I, I was like, I felt like I was dreaming, and one of the officers starts to walk over towards me, and I look up, and I go, excuse me, officer, my, my ministry prints these. I don't know how this got here, and he looks at me, and he goes, easy, and I go, Wow. Ah! <laughs> it was Ray Comfort. I had nothing to do with this. He goes, easy, I love your ministry. I can't believe you're here, and so I look at him. I go, did you put these here? He goes, yeah. I go, you... I go, they haven't stopped you? I'm thinking, you haven't gotten busted yet? He goes, not yet. (laughs) I thought, oh, it's coming. (laughs) I was so blown away. I gave him my card. I said, please contact me. I'd love to talk with you more about this. So anyhow, I come back home from my trip to Ohio, and I find this email in my box from this police officer. He said, good morning, sir. As the subject line says, it was nice to meet you and your son yesterday at the airport. Yesterday was the first time I have ever set the tracts out at the law enforcement podium, even though the thought occurred to me a few years ago when I first learned of your ministry through a homeschool conference. When my two partners and I arrived at the podium yesterday, I pulled out the tracts and set them up. They were curious and read the tract, including the gospel message on the back. That then sparked a conversation that lasted several hours. I used info from Ray Comfort, Vody Bacham, Ken Ham, and all the other info I've picked up from a variety of sources like the Bible. They were not getting it. They challenged me on everything from ancient aliens to why are the Jews God's chosen people. Then you walked up and you looked like an ancient alien. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I mean, it's true, but I made that up. After you left, I had to explain who you were and the total improbability of you walking up at that moment. As one of my partners put it, it was like having an Amazon Kindle on display, talking about Amazon products, and then Jeff Bezos, CEO of Amazon, walking up. Using God's blessing of mobile internet, I showed them livingwaters.com, 180, Noah, God versus evolution, and whatever else was up on the screen. After a 10-hour shift of witnessing, I believe they will begin following Christ. Praise God. Brothers and sisters, you think of the improbability of all of that happening by chance. I mean, of all the days I could have been traveling, it was that day. Of all the airports I could have been going through, it was that airport. Of all the different checkpoints, and there were many there that I could have gone through, it was that checkpoint. Of all the directions my son could have looked at, it was in that direction. Of all the days over the course of the couple of years that officer thought about putting those tracts out, it was that day. And of all the things he could have been doing when we walked up, he was sharing the gospel from one of our ministry tracts. If you don't believe in the existence of God, you've got problems. <laughs> and what was that? That was divine convergence. That was that was him being prepared for every good work, every good work being prepared for him, me being prepared, every good work being prepared, and that divine convergence happened in God's perfect timing, and I'm still buzzing from it even now. Brothers and sisters, I want to close with this final video. Many of you, I'm sure, have heard of Penn Jillette. He's a renowned, famous magician and comedian and one of the most outspoken atheists. I want you to hear what he has to say about his perspective as a God-hating atheist in regards to Christians and whether or not they share their faith. That's wrong. And
0: then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this, I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. I and mean, then he said, I'm a businessman, I'm, I'm sane, I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes, and he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind, and nice, and sane, and looked me in the eyes, and talked to me, and then gave me this Bible. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. In
2: 2012, Ray was corresponding with a magician who was friends with Pen, Penn Gillette and uh, this petition was a Christian, and he talked about maybe arranging a meeting with Ray and Penn, and Ray said to him in an email, I just reread it, he said, I would, cross a, I would crawl across broken glass for 10 miles to be able to share the gospel with Penn Jillette. Well, nothing came of it. The meeting wasn't arranged. We went to D.C. recently, just a couple months ago, to interview Lawrence Krauss for one of our new movies called The Atheist Delusion that's coming out. And we get out, Lawrence meets us outside the hotel, and he says, I want you to meet a friend of mine. And he points, and there was Penn Gillette. Afterwards, when we finished interviewing Lawrence Krauss, Ray goes, hey, Penn, why don't you come? Let me interview you. He goes, no, 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 I don't want to. No. Uh, no. He's like, come on, please. Just some." me. He's like, no, no, I don't want to. So Ray thought, oh, I guess this wasn't the opportunity I had prayed for. So we go outside. We're standing outside the hotel, and all of a sudden, Penn Gillette walks out, comes up to Ray and begins to ask him questions. Ray shared the gospel with Penn Gillette for 30 minutes. At the end of the conversation, he reminded him of this video. And he said, Do You know, when you said that there comes a point when you, if someone is standing in the middle of a road and there's a car coming towards them that you tackle them? He said, Yeah, I said, That's what I'm doing to you right now. Penn Gillette finished his conversation with Ray. He and his friend cross the street to their hotel across the way. All of a sudden, I heard the loudest screeching of tires. And I look up and I see Penn and his friend plastered against the bus. And he later recounted the story in the radio interview. He said that. that Car actually hit his friend's pant leg. That's how close they were to getting hit. Ray had just reminded him of that illustration he gave, just shared the gospel with him. Divine convergence, prepared for every good work, every good work prepared for you under the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, you are ambassadors for Jesus Christ. You have a full-time ministry of reconciliation. Your purpose is to know God, to be known by God, and to make him known. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that you would stir my brothers and sisters up here tonight to live for your glory and honor, to be faithful servants in your kingdom, to recognize that, Lord, if their only prayer for months is, oh God, I'm terrified, please help me, that God, you will break through and use them. I pray you would help us to stop being negligent of our duties and our call and our responsibility. Make us faithful ambassadors. Make us faithful ministers of reconciliation and show us, God, that we are those that can dispense that which we've been partakers of. Let us live for you to please you with our whole heart and to no longer live for ourselves, but for you who died for us and rose again. We thank you,
1: Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you so much, Easy, for coming with an exhortation and a reminder of the importance of sharing the gospel. as. Um, as ambassadors of reconciliation, let's give uh, Easy a uh, uh, round of applause for 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 agreeing to to come and share with us tonight. We really appreciate you you coming and sharing with us. Um, I was sharing a story with him uh, just a, a little bit earlier where I talked about the the error in uh, not sharing the gospel with people, instead just talking to them about God, but answering you know apologetic questions and that sort of thing, and how. And how uh, when I would walk away from conversations, I'd often be frustrated that I didn't say this or I should have said that or you know maybe I shouldn't have said this. And I would wonder if what I said or what I hadn't said might have been the difference of eternal life for these people. And um, I was challenged by, by the scripture and by ministries like uh, Living Waters uh, to really just bring it back to the simplicity of the gospel because I'd kind of departed from that. And I'll tell you what, when I did that, um, anytime I walk away from a, from a conversation or an opportunity, whether the person makes a profession of faith, which is very rare compared to when they don't, or, or they don't, I walk away feeling confident that I did my job. And, and uh, kind of an, I had a kind of an epiphany in that um, God has done his job and will always faithfully do his job. And as long as I do my job, that just leaves it up to the person who's heard the gospel to do their job, to repent and to believe and, um, you know, we're, we're we're planning on offering, you know, we have, of course, you can visit Living Waters' uh, uh, website and find all the resources. There's tons of free resources on there for evangelism training and examples and tracks and that sort of thing. And they also have a program called The Way of the Master, which we're talking about setting up a class so that we can um, do some evangelism training here again. We've done it before, but it's been quite a while. So um, so we'd love to offer that. But, but I guess what I wanted to leave you with is, you know, just as as uh, Easy had mentioned, you know, you, you, we're always going to be anxious and scared to share the gospel because there's that spiritual battle, you know, along with just the not, the, the the ignorance of knowing what's going to happen. And dis- discipleship is easy because usually the person who's being discipled wants to be discipled, and you know what the fruit and the result's going to be. But evangelism so much different because oftentimes the person doesn't want to be evangelized, and you don't know what the result's going to be. And so there's that factor of ignorance, you know, not knowing. So I think about discipleship as the idea of discipleship is one of the, one of my favorite ideas. The idea of evangelism is one of my least favorite ideas, but a more least favorite idea is thinking that somebody might have missed an opportunity to receive the gospel and have a relationship with God because I was too scared to open my mouth and to share. And just as easy was sharing if we if we put that desperation and love ahead of our fear then the Lord will open the door for us to be able to share and I guess what when you walk away from sharing the gospel whether it was received or not you feel like you've been used by God and there's just this there's just this adrenaline rush uh, that that can't uh, be topped by anything else and so you know I just want to encourage the, the church um, all of us just to be ambassadors um, as easy has mentioned that's what we are. And so let's fulfill that role to the glory of God in a manner worthy of the gospel. Amen. 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 Let's pray together. Lord, thank you so much, God, for the reminder of the importance of proclaiming the message, the powerful message of salvation. Lord, we thank you that that gospel message has made its way into our hearts and that we have been transformed and regenerated by the power of this message, the message of Jesus Christ. We thank you so much, Lord, and we think about the gospel and the power in our lives. And as we've mentioned before, and as we think of that, that hymn, I love to hear the story. For those who know it best, come hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. We love to hear the gospel, Lord. Help us to love to share the gospel. Help us, Lord, to be the ambassadors that you've called us to be and to be able to walk in those good works that you've prepared for us. You've done your work and your job in that. You've prepared the good works, Lord. Now help us to be available to be prepared to meet those good works. Thank you, Lord, for that reminder and that exhortation. Help us, Lord, to fulfill that that great commission that you've given to us. We give you thanks, Lord, and we just look to you to to lead and guide us, and, um, Lord, to walk with you uh, in joy and peace and hope and love. We give you thanks in Jesus' name.